0: Bella, funny fella running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I turned my head. And nobody answered me. Compensating for something. That <laughs> just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm going to leave
1: that in. All right. All right. This is Bruce. <laughs>
2: That's John. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Blix. Uh,
1: No, this is John. Oh, okay. Welcome to the (laughs) Frenchworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. And this week, uh, we're talking about compensation. We're not talking about the kind of compensation that John was talking about. We're talking about what is it that the game provides the characters that they really, really want. Because in a game like Frenchworthy... We already assume that a lot of people who are fringe worthy are actually not going to become explorers, even though they have the ability. There's a lot of reasons for that. They could be too young, could be too old. They could be physically unable to. They could have some kind of obligation that keeps them from doing it. They're just too important to the job that they're at. And a lot of them just are just scared to death of the idea of going out in some strange alien world where things can eat them so the people who become fringe-worthy explorers or some of the other more popular roles such as fringe security or search and rescue even the diplomatic corps but mostly the first three they need to be compensated because if they don't the characters are eventually going to find the job not worth it they have to go through a lot of hardship if you really play the game realistically these people are not in comfortable situations their lives are at risk what they get for doing it, besides their own personal satisfaction of being an explorer, should be something that actually rewards both the character and the player.
0: The first Fringeworthy will be drafted. They have the gift. We don't know how hard it will be to find the rest. Therefore, Waylay, Gordon Conrad, they will be drafted. They have no choice in the matter. You are fringe-worthy. You're going out there. By the way,
2: we'll give you a million dollars. Well, John, when you say draft and forced to go, we're not talking about or you're going to eat lead. You mean like drafted as in guilted into it? Like you have to do this? They play on their guilt and then throw some money at them and Mm -hmm. perhaps they have family at home and it's this million dollars. You could help your daughter go to college and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah way late she was guilted by her parents into doing it because her mother decided that this would be the perfect thing for her because she'd be away from communist china and she'd be able to use her powers at that point without worry about being dissected by the chinese or whoever or being abused
1: but this is really a plot device john we're assuming that once they actually get out there they really like it because the players are playing characters And the players initially are going to be explorers, their characters. The players want their characters to be explorers and want their characters to like what they're doing out there. When you first play a game, there's this excitement. Everything you do is new. Everything you see is different. And that's an initial compensation for the player and also for the characters. But after a certain amount of time has gone by, then they're going to start saying, you know, this is a lot of work for... $100,000 $100,000 a year, or even a million dollars a year, when Meller are chewing at their boots. We did want to talk about compensation, and one form of compensation is money, which isn't as helpful usually in the game as it would be in most other games, since they are so rare. Almost anything that they ask for is going to be given them.
0: In D20 terms, they'll have a wealth like plus 20 or 25. No, it's 15. But it will go up from there because they are fringe where they are one of a kind.
2: What can you buy at a plus 15 wealth, John? The primary motivator is money. The initial and easiest and the straight go to because that's why we all work.
1: I'm saying that I think it isn't. First off, they're going to be getting this plus 15 wealth bonus using the D20 modern system. So therefore, that really isn't a very good bonus unless we're talking about a lot more than that.
0: Well, actually, we're, we're giving you a plus 15, which means that goes on top of wherever they start with.
1: No, no, it doesn't. Uh, well,
0: some people will interpret it that way. In the
1: manual, it says that if you have less than a 15, it gets raised to 15. And if you have over a 15, you get a plus 1 on top of the 15. Okay.
2: But what I was saying about primary motivator, I don't mean that's the main motivator. When I say primary, I mean that is first or the, the initial Oh, that's, yes. That's, that's yes. the first thing you go for. That's the least common denominator of, of motivators for people to do things is money. At the same rate, that's also the first thing to go. For example, you can pay somebody any amount of money to do a job, and they'll think it's worth it until their life is on the line. And then at some point, they're going to say, you know, I don't care how much you pay me. I'm yeah. not going to kill myself over this. And money is the first thing that they throw out the window, the first thing that they'll give up. They're like, forget it.
1: I agree, Blake. I think that intangibles, which is what I'm trying to get at, right. are the sort of things that will be much more pleasing to mm-hmm. to the explorers and to the player than just stuff, just mundane stuff. Now, I'm right. not talking about extraordinary stuff. I'm talking about the, the sort of things that you can walk down to a store uh, even on Rodeo Drive and buy. Right. You know, that sort of thing is not going to be that impressive to the players after they've been playing a little while.
2: Right. <laughs> that's that's what I was saying. It's, it's the right. easiest and the first thing that they'll go for to give you to motivate you to do it. It's the easiest thing for a DM to go for and motivate people to do it. And for especially beginning players, that's all you really need to do because they're role-playing. like, oh, how much money and girls can I get with this? So it's at least common denominator. But then when you get to your more experienced players – as it is in life, you get to more experienced people. Eventually, they get to the point where they're like, yeah, money's not everything. Money doesn't equal happiness, so it's the first thing that gets cut out.
0: And l- looking at the book, purchase DC of plus 15 is only $500. So what? That's, yes. That's per the, the modern guide. Yeah. Purchase DC is $500.
1: Blix, you got to understand the, the philosophy behind here. Okay. What we're saying is, is that anything up to $500 can be purchased with as many that you want without ever worrying about running out of money. Oh, so it's not just you. one five hundred dollar, okay. it's like five hundred five hundred dollars okay do. I think the GM would have to draw a line at that. I want a top-end camera. Bang, you have got it.
2: We're gonna go out on the town tonight, and my character's gonna carry the whole bill. We're gonna go to dinner. I'm gonna buy everybody dinner, and then we're gonna go out and we're gonna go dancing. I'm gonna pay for all the drinks, right. um, and and up to five hundred dollars, you don't even think about it.
1: Each one, dinner would be easily under the plus fifteen. Drinks at the club would be under. Car rental, get yourself right. a Jag rental. You know, mm-hmm. five hundred bucks a day, no problem for you.
2: Okay.
0: Just take ten, and you got it.
2: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Plus 15 is twice starting level for, for most characters. Most characters are plus 7 wealth.
2: Gotcha. For bribes and stuff too, I'll bribe the guy. How much you give him? $300. Okay. You don't even write that down or record it at all because it's just like, well, I, I have that.
1: Yeah. That is the whole point of the wealth system is that gotcha. you don't have to track your money. Right. As long as you stay under the customary purchase level, you never have to worry about running out of money. Your, your pocket is essentially emptiless.
0: Right. You know. Most general equipment items are under 15. Right.
1: <laughs> so what you should assume, therefore, is that your character is wealthy. Once you become a fringe explorer, you are immediately wealthy. Oh, yeah. Not rich as crocious. Okay, that comes later. <laughs> but wealthy in that sense. You're comfortably rich. OK, yeah, so you never have to worry about what the price of your meal is after this.
2: Mm-hmm. So what's the next motivator? Money goes out the window.
1: That kind of money goes out the window. Right.
2: I'm talking about cash. Cash goes right. out the window. What's next?
1: To me, the most obvious one is fame. Reputation. Not just reputation, but fame itself in the sense that you're going to be invited places. You now start getting invited to all the Hollywood parties. You get invited to speak at prestigious universities. Oh, yeah. You get. Book deals. You walk into an airport and there's your book in a big display. Everybody on the plane is reading your book. And the GM needs to really play that up so the character receives that reward. Because just saying that you've got a book deal Mm -hmm. isn't going to mean anything unless you actually give a visual for them to really cling on to.
0: You get front row center at your local basketball. You get the best seats in the house. you got a skybox that you, you don't even pay for. Joe Smith gets to throw the baseball out.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm in D.C. Is the Lincoln Room open?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Joe Smith gets to sing the national anthem.
2: You get to have dinner with the president if you like.
1: I'm sure that would happen considering how rare friends really
2: people are. I mean, you could just walk up and knock on the door, but they knew you were going to be in town. You know, you might get a call from the president and say, hey, you know, you want to have dinner with me tonight?
1: Absolutely and you'd be invited to state dinners. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are all the kind of compensations that I think would be really great to give players. The problem with this is that you're creating a spotlight that, unless you can deliver it really fast, is going to bore the rest of your table.
2: Yeah. Right. So
1: what you can do instead, with a little bit of preparation, is that you can give tokens to your players. Instead of detailing out the whole inaugural ball and so on and so forth, you can make up an inaugural ball invitation right. and give it to the player for his character that he can keep with his character sheet.
2: What about endorsements? you think there'd be some of that going on? Oh, yeah. For example, you get invited to sing the National Anthem. If you wear your jacket with Pepsi on the back of it, does Pepsi give you a million bucks?
1: They might. There's no reason why various organizations would not give fringeworthy people endorsement bonuses.
2: Would IDET frown upon that?
1: I don't think so because I think that IDET wants corporate sponsorship. There's a lot of money involved in this. I have not really thought about this to a large extent as to how big amount of money would these various countries be willing to pony up to support IDET. One of the suggestions I made way, way back was IDET doesn't find much stuff for about a couple more years. And so after about the first year or two, all the taxpayers start grumbling about the money that's being spent on this purposeful pointless, no-payback exploration of alien worlds with these people that think they're better than everyone else because they got this special quality, and they start telling their congressmen, you know, really, can't you spend the money on building a court-rendering plan in my state instead? And so IDET right. actually has to turn to corporate sponsorship, and the corporation starts saying, you're going to have to start filming your adventures so that you can show us using our products out there, fighting the meller or... Right giving a bottle of Pepsi to the con of the Golden Horde.
2: Heckler and Koch, your only defense against the mushy ones. And you scale this Cliff using REI equipment.
1: And your IDET uniform becomes festoon-like. Like NASCAR racers.
2: Just so people don't get the wrong idea, this is one direction your adventure right. could go. This is by no means the way that the game is set up.
0: My version is different. The right. UN decides that it's going to keep everything it finds and license it out in that scenario you were working for them
1: they didn't give you any money i shocked my players i said you know that hundred thousand dollars they gave you when you joined up yeah well you're supposed to spend it buying your equipment to go explore what yeah and then when you find stuff then they'll give you bonuses and you can make it back really easily and even make you know millions more you can make millions and millions of dollars by finding really great stuff out there but you got to go out and find it and they were like a Grumble, grumble, grumble. But then when they brought back a couple of things and made thirty million dollars off of it, they were like, Well, this is not such a bad deal after all. They had to create an environment of scarcity in regards to money so that when they did get it, they really did feel compensated.
2: But we're still talking about money as compensation.
1: Right. Under the standard scenario that we have in the book where they're given most of their equipment for exploration, we even recommended that you not use the uh, wealth rating as a means of determining whether or not you can buy stuff. Instead, use it as a determination of how fast
0: your equipment requisitions get filled in. Right. The higher the DC cost to purchase, the longer it takes to get. Right. right.
1: Because you could say, well, not only am I putting this requisition in, I'm also slipping the guy behind the counter 500 bucks to get my stuff. Make sure that there's enough of this because I'm going to be wanting it. All
2: right.
0: You can award a temporary bonus. Say they get a plus four for now, a mission. Now, plus four isn't much, but you get to add that to your center Wealth bonus. And when you start losing because you have to make rolls when you make a purchase, and if you roll over your wealth bonus drops, it drops off the bonus first.
1: Right, so if you wanna start saying, hey, this is the kind of equipment I want as my standard equipment. So you go in and you say, all right, we're gonna spend our wealth bonuses down buying really expensive stuff. Not really buying, but requisitioning it. Mm -hmm. So for example, you say, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna buy a jet helicopter. All right, not really buying it, you're requisitioning, but by making the wealth rolls, you say, okay, I've got that. So that point forward, that jet helicopter, unless you blew it up, will always be available to you, and it is a compensation. You'll have something that other teams won't have because they didn't spend their wealth bonuses for that kind of equipment. Maybe they spent their wealth bonuses on a trimaran. Right. You still make decisions as to what your equipment is going to be by paying down your wealth bonuses, but it still lets you get your standard-type stuff as well.
0: There's really no good way of pooling wealth bonuses in D20 Modern. I've seen some examples of doing it, but they're all kind of kludgy because it was never designed to be pooled together. It represents individual purchasing capabilities.
1: Right. Right. And that's exactly right, John. It's not designed for a group wealth bonus. If you're going to do that, you probably need to create a sort of pseudo-entity of the team and say, the team wealth is this, and use that as a means of, of determining it. And, and then they could actually give the bonuses for team success to the team rather than to individuals. That would keep it a lot cleaner.
0: Talking about well, if you've read the opening story first mission, you'll see that both Gordon Conrad and Wei and possibly Sayuri, are giving away most of their money, their income, to promote themselves to their communities. Wei is funding a school. Gordon's going to be starting a park. I imagine Sayuri would be funding programs in her university. And this is another way of gaining reputation. They start saying, well, what are, what are we getting from this? Well, you can point to the park. You can point to the schools. You can point to the programs and saying, we are giving these people a lot of money they're giving it right back to the community. It actually helps make sure that there's continuing funding of IDET and UNIS and and UNITA.
1: That is a compensation that should be what the player wants, what the character wants. If you wanted to do that, then the GM would need to create some kind of a token so that they could have that, get a little picture of some way. Here's the little girl who goes to the school that you're funding and then the player has that to look at and he can actually use that to flesh out his character even show it to the other players and other characters saying look what i'm spending my money on this is little sally Jean. she and her bucktooth brother are going to the appalachian snowball prom <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, of the money i
2: gave we're moving into another territory altogether because that is humanitarian people who do that are not really doing it for fame As a matter of fact Uh, A lot of people do a lot of good in that way, and they do it anonymously. I could see Ciari doing it or Waylay doing it and not even putting their name on it or or putting their name on it but not wanting it to be publicized. But they're doing it for their own good. you You could
1: create an anonymous foundation that you were funding, and they would never know who the money actually came from.
2: That's a character who's doing it for money but they're not keeping the money. It's a chance for them to give back to their community. They're doing it for completely humanitarian reasons. It's a character type you can play. You can say that my character is motivated by humanitarian causes. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, and it benefits humanity.
0: Burton Conrad does it to aggrandize ing- himself. But, of course, he puts in a statue of himself holding his hand out so pigeons can land out and poop on it.
2: Well, anybody who puts up a statue of themselves... They're not really doing it for humanitarian reasons. They're doing it for their own uh, narcissism. Right. We're providing a park
1: for the neighborhood community, but it's so everyone can look at my statue. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. That's fame as a compensation. Mm -hmm. Another form of compensation, which will become more important as time goes on, might be land grants on other worlds. Idet generally uh, takes your money away from you when you come back, you know, all kinds of treasures, gold, things like that you might find, but they might turn around again and say, okay, we're going to spend this money on this world. We're not going to bring it back to Earth and ruin Earth's economy, but we're going to go to another world and we're going to spend all this money buying an estate on this world for you. This is your little home away from home, and then the player can sit down and start building a castle. Designing their own castle, designing how they want to run their farm or what industries they want to do. If that's the kind of character that you're playing, if that's the kind of player that you are where you enjoy that sort of thing, then you now have a, a free thing to do. This was actually from a D&D game, but I saw my entire group come alive one time when I said, oh, and you inherited an inn and they proceeded to dismantle this inn and rebuild it back up spending most of their personal money for their characters into what they considered to be their perfect place home away from a home inn where everybody had their own room and the gunsmiths would have his own shooting range and things like that and the the doctor would have his own laboratory where he could examine local herbs and medicinal things and uh, the computer person could bring in uh, every possible movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or, and showing it gratis to the local community.
0: Or fun every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie ever made or could be made. Except for maybe the twins or no, the version of Terminator where he's not the Terminator. He's the guy trying to help save Sarah Connor.
1: I mean, the second one. Yeah.
0: No, the first one. I, I know. I, I'm kidding you, John. Okay. And of course Sylvester Stallone is the Terminator. <laughs> Right, just like it was in the uh, Last
1: Action Hero. Yeah. <laughs> you could give them land grants. They could gain various titles, being knighted. Even as an American, if I suddenly had the Queen of England said, please come over here, we'd like to knight you in honor of our world, I would still consider it an honor. Oh, yeah. I think it'd still be cool to happen, you know? I mean, I'm an American. I'm not. I'm no subject to the Queen, but if the Queen wanted to knight me, I'd go over there and do it.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So various honorariums like that, you want to make sure that the player has something to uh, either a very short, to-the-point, little vignette spotlight moment or uh, maybe a little token that they could use with their character. And this keeps their interest alive in the game and helps focus their character on the
0: things that they say their character cares about. Connections, background benefits. You know the guy who can do the best party on Pax But connections are another form of compensation. And the kind of connection
1: that you could link back the guy's character is, let's say the character was a techie, like the advanced class, giving them a connection to somebody over at MIT. Whenever they had a problem that needed a technological solution that was above the skill level of the character, hey, here's somebody they could go to. And that person would drop what they were doing and go help them. Waiting for answers to come back from IDET can take a lot of time, and that's something that I do in, in my game. I make them wait a lot of times when they come back and say, "Well, what do you think about this?" Well, we're going to have to do some research on it, or we're going to have to analyze this information, and then they're going to have to wait for that to come back. Well, that's good because that makes them go do other things, but. Uh, you could also shorten that time by saying, yeah, well, you need to go talk to your buddy over at MIT, or maybe you need to go talk to famous oceanographer or fashion consultant for how to really make a, the perfect costume for King Louis the XV's uh, annual ball. Rather than being a totally unknown person in tech services, put your, your requisition in and we'll get to it, sure we will. That's what usually happens, but if you can say, no, I know somebody because the GM gave me this connection as a reward and I can go to that person and that person is going to help me out and give me the perfect thing, which could be either an actual thing or it could be a bonus to their negotiation or various types of checks when they're at the party because everyone is so impressed with how dazzling they are. These are things that GM and the players need to work together to really make special for the characters.
0: And when we're talking about context, that actually is something that you really want the players to cultivate. It gives them more grounding on Earth Prime and, and more grounding with other people so that they don't eventually decide one day to, screw this, let's go over to Alt 5 and take over a world. You could
1: also make them in charge of setting up a equipment depot. Not that they run it. No, they set it up. They go to Earth and they hire a Fringeworthy to run it for them, unless, of course, they they hire a local to do it. But they're probably going to want a Fringeworthy too, somebody who doesn't really want to be any spore but still is Fringeworthy. And then that way they're in charge of it. They gain the fame or the benefit from it, and they also, of course, know that if they need something, they have a place to stash it. Because a lot of the uh, adventures that we're going on right now in my campaign, they get to the platform and they're like, well, we really don't want to leave our vehicle sitting on the platform for two reasons. One is because it could be stolen by a fringe Hmm. walker or a a fringe pirate. And two, because it's going to be sitting there not running and therefore be really hard to start again unless, of course, you're far enough in that you really have good startup type devices. We're going to drive it off over to a friendly portal go in there and leave it there, and then that way we know that it's safe. Well, if you've already set up various pocket stops, I mean equipment depots, on various alternates, primes, and and pocket stops as part of the ongoing adventure that your GM is running for you, then you have a place to take it that might be pretty convenient. And I would recommend on every platform, every alternate that you go to, that you should try to find at least one place on there that you can do that. Because it's a lot easier to go through a portal that's 600 feet away than to have to go 50 miles or more to the next platform where the same thing might be.
2: This is what you can do as a Game Master to reward your players. But I think we need to touch on what the player needs to do. Game Master's job is not to do everything. Players have a responsibility. Everybody sitting at that table is a contributor to the game. When you come to the game table, if you're just a player, you can't just sit there and hand over everything to the game master and say, Okay, well, you have to do all the work, and I'm just here to play. A player should contribute as much as he takes from the game. So I think we should talk a little bit about what you can bring to this whole process as a player. So when you're making up your character, instead of going the old-fashioned route of, Well, my character needs something to motivate me to do this job, character can have internal reasons to do these adventures. And you can literally force the GM to do things for you because you're playing a character that has those kind of demands. For example, you're playing like a diehard soldier who is bound by duty. He doesn't do the job for for money. He doesn't do it for fame. He doesn't do it for items and stuff. He does it because it's his duty. Because if you think about it, there's no soldier out there who gets paid enough to go through the stuff that they go through. There's no money that's worth that. They do it because it's their duty. So you could very easily have a, a character who's traveling the French Pass because he believes it's his duty for mankind to explore these French paths. A, try and find things that will help society as a whole, and B, try to stop the things that will hurt society as a whole coming through the French Pass or even just help other worlds that he goes to. His goal is to go to worlds and help those people, and the only benefit he gets out of it is the gratification of knowing that he's helping other people.
1: That's great. So how do we reward him?
2: As a game master, you don't need to reward him other than giving him adventures where he can do that. That's where the player brings it to the game. That's what I'm saying. And not every character is going to do that. Not every player is going to do that. But I'm saying if you have one player in the group who is willing to bring that to the table, a lot of times he'll pull the other players along with him. A lot of times when I play characters... I make it a little hard on the Game Master in that I don't care about money or, or, or items. That's not what I play for. I always try to make up characters where I have another angle. I'm looking for something else completely. And in some ways, it hurts the Game Master because he can't just reward me easily. But in another way, it helps him because it frees up the amount of ventures he can do. Adventures don't always have to have a monetary angle, some kind of material angle, or some kind of you know, self-serving, beneficial angle Sometimes the game master can just do an adventure that is set up for the players to do certain things because it's just the right thing to do. So a noble cause. A noble cause. The way you can daisy-chain this is you're playing that type of character. One of the other guys in the group says, well, the character I'm playing is motivated by friendship and companionship. I'll do anything for my friends and being that this is one of my friends and he's going to go do this adventure for a noble cause even though I don't believe in the cause I'm going to support him because I believe in friendship and bonding and supporting those people that you care about he's duty bound by friendship and that's what he does why are you here? because he's here other than that you know, it's like well I'll take money sure I like money but you know it's like I'm here because this fool is here and I'm not going to let him get himself killed on his own
1: Cosgrove from the Victorian world, that's totally his motivation. His reward is to serve his lord.
2: Right.
0: The person he grew up with, more or less. The person he raised.
2: Yeah. Everything's not on the Game Master's It doesn't matter what game you're playing. You can always bring that to the table with your character. And believe me, it's its own reward. It really livens up the game table and makes the gaming experience much more fun. We've had some really, really fun adventures doing that because you know people will start laughing and just be at the table and they'll just start laughing because they'll be like, I know what he's gonna do, and it's the stupidest thing, but it's funny because it's like that's his character and that's what he's gonna do.
1: And you brought up such an excellent point, like Backstories and backgrounds for your characters is so important because that that's the th- sort of thing that the other players and the GM can riff off of. If you don't put these things down, then
2: you're losing out about half of the adventure. It's in your own interest because it's fun. It really makes the game much more fun.
1: Let's say you have two guys who are military guys. And usually it's like, oh, great. Now they're going to steal each other spotlight time because so-and-so shoots and the other guy shoots. And so every time we get into a situation where we need somebody shot, then only one of those guys gets to do something. Not if the characters have good backgrounds. Then we start getting into, well, is one going to let the other one do it? Are they going to be competing with one another? Are they good buddies? Maybe so-and-so, even though he's got all these shooting skills, actually has some other things that he's interested in, and he can go chase after those while the other guy is doing the shooting. If you don't write down any of these interests, any of these things that jazz your character, the GM can't do anything about it, and the other players don't know about it either, so they can't give you an opportunity to trigger them. And that's what you want. You want the other players to give you opportunities to make your character come alive, to do those things that make them special. And, and so it's really important that you let the other players know what those special things are.
2: It doesn't have to be always be a noble cause, now does it? No. Let's say you're playing a character who loves to kill people. He's sadistic. He's like a psychotic killer. In regular day society, eventually he would get caught go to jail and put to death if he goes out on the french pass he has all these opportunities to kill people it's completely legitimate he can satiate his bloodthirst and not have to experience any kind of repercussions so long as he's careful and doesn't kill people out of hand he just waits for that excuse which always seems to come about i'm sure the military's got some people like that in it
1: or the point of the whole character is to be found out eventually and put down Right. So when he goes off and does something, he gives the GM little clues and such for the GM to say somebody died in the town and their body was found staked outside the town with a cross cut in their <laughs> chest, which is really strange considering that this is a completely Muslim culture. There is no
2: Christianity on this world. Or Bruce, somebody goes, wait a minute, didn't that just happen on the last world we were on? <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> and well, that would really be a tell, don't you think? Right, yeah. yeah. In most of these shows where they have serial killers, ultimately the point of the show is for the serial killer to get caught, for the other characters to be smart enough to follow the clues, to find out where the serial killer slipped up, and finally unmask the person or confront them with their crimes. Wow. That could be the whole motivation for your character, is for your character to finally get unmasked as this terrible person. And then you get to roll up a new character, you know, and that would be okay too, because you don't have to keep the same character throughout an entire campaign. Retiring a character like that can be a good thing, and you can build up to a big finale for that character, a very memorable finale. And that could be a really big reward. That might be what the character always wanted. That might be the big compensation that the character has been looking for, for all the to, to finally get unmasked, to finally say, yes, yes, it's me who did it there and, there, and there, and there, and there, and you never knew it. Aha, you've been trying to find out this person for years, and it's been me all along. <laughs> you know, right. Cue evil laughter. Then they drag him off. and. Wah or the guy who's nobly motivated has to decide whether or not he's, he's willing to let this guy go back to trial or he's going to deal with it right here and now.
2: Right. So. Put the rabbit dog down.
1: Yeah. You know, th- this can actually create a lot of opportunities for other characters to go through evolutions so far along. They've always been this way. Now all of a sudden, this is a breaking point where they're suddenly going to change the character. The character who never shot a weapon suddenly says, okay, enough. You know, Bang, now from that point on, he's willing to use a weapon. Or somebody says, you're so terrible, I thought my crime was bad. I can tell everybody now, because no matter what I say, no one's going to remember. They're just going to remember that you were the terrible one. get our big reveal of that, and the player gets that as a compensation. They get to basically say something outrageous about their character and bring out a whole new facet of their character. This sort of thing could be a really good thing for the adventure. Really bad for at least one character, but really good for the uh, campaign and really good for the players because they get to really stretch in those moments.
2: Right. right. Another uh, form of motivation. I played a character for a long time. He was an anthropologist in college. That was his main character archetype. So his motivation was knowledge and discovery. And that was his reward. You didn't have to give him money. Letting him find a ruin that he could study and make a, a charcoal rubbing, that was as good as any amount of money that you could give him. That was his reward. So that's why he traveled to Paz was to find stuff like that. And he would risk life and limb for that, basically an Indiana Jones type.
0: The fringes are archaeologists' dreams. Once you discover that there are time-retarded worlds, there's places you can go and see what it was like or at least what it could have been like. In various places, like like we mentioned before, the Library of Alexandria, uh, both an archaeologist and and a uh, bibliophile's dream, be able to go back and see all those lost works,
2: right? Or or something like Atlantis, you know, Mm -hmm. going there that would be crazy for an anthropologist to find. Oh yeah. If you know your players, people you've been playing with for for a while, even if you know it's only been a couple of months, generally you can identify what really motivates that player try and nudge them in the direction of making a character like that. John, I've noticed when you're playing, a lot of times you go for just straight-up adventure. You know, It doesn't seem like your character cares about the reward, just as long as you're having fun and, Just getting into the mix of things. It's like, why don't you play a character who's motivated by adventure? He's just addicted to adrenaline, and that's what he's after. And then you take the time to make sure that when you do your adventure that there's always that aspect in it to keep that player and that character interested. Clip to the player's strength, because ultimately it's a two-way street. and, And if you guys play off of each other, your adventures will be so much more fun.
1: If your character has that interest... Ask the GM if there's an opportunity to do it. Don't expect the GM to suddenly pull it out because he might be thinking about three or four other things at the same time, or she might be busy planning a Mellor invasion. So take the initiative. Make sure that the GM has an opportunity to give that opportunity
2: to you. I think this would be a good time to talk about 3 by 3s And it can be a 3 by 4 or whatever, but a 3 by 3 would be three people that your character knows or is friends with three people that you'd like to meet, and three people that you would find as potential enemies. It could be any type of threes, but it's it's something that you type up. But you, you take a little time, put a few paragraphs together. You can even say three places I'd like to go, three things I'd like to happen to my character, maybe three types of adventures you'd like to go on. And when you give that to the Game Master, he has that, and he can play off that. If you write up, spend just a little bit of time saying, I knew this guy in my past, he's a arms dealer. At some point, you know, adventure might come across where you're going to some world, and I mean, you don't even have to say the guy's name. You can say, I know an arms dealer somewhere, or, or I want to establish a relationship with an arms dealer because my character is into guns and whatever explanation you want to make. But then that gives the Game Master a place to put that, to make it happen. And then it doesn't have to exactly happen exactly the way you want it, But he can use that, and then he's giving you what you want. You're giving him the ability to make interesting adventures, and then your characters play off of each other. The adventure's so much more deep, and you get so much more out of it. You know, when you're done that night, you're like, wow, that was really cool. Instead of leaving it completely in the Game Master's hands for him to make up everything and to invent everything, you're actually kind of controlling your own destiny a little bit.
0: It's an old resource. It was put out in uh, 88. It's actually still for sale up on Amazon.com. It's called Central Casting, Heroes Now. It's a way of randomly or semi-randomly generating a character background for your player character. But it was a great way to work up backgrounds. I created the fourth member of of IDAT team number one, Yuri. He's an ex-Russian mobster. And I already knew that beforehand, before I went in, into the book. I just made sure I got what I wanted out of the book, in terms of other miscellaneous detail, like he's married and he has a kid. And he's connected to the mob, but not directly. When he got the chance, he moved his family out of Russia to Alice Springs, to the facilities there in Alice Springs, and that's where his family lives. Papa, his uh, father-in-law, does come for a visit once in a while. His father-in-law is to of a Russian mob you may want to give your character something some sort of tension that they have that happens outside the game or even inside the game character worries that maybe something happens to his family
2: when you're making up your characters i think everyone needs to divulge a little bit information to each other so that you're not making up somebody who is super noble super virtuous and then someone else who's making up a character who is sociopathic murderous who will kill anybody for any reason because Because then you're going to have your two characters going at it every adventure and not only get stressful for the game master and stressful for the two people, but it gets stressful for everyone else at the table because it's like, oh, Christ, these guys are at it again. If you want to play a sociopath and you know that somebody else wants to play a super virtuous character, one way around that is to say, all right, well, I'm going to play a secretive sociopath. I'm only going to hurt people when everyone else isn't looking. I like to do it in the dark behind the shadows when no one's looking. Right. For example, I once played a character who was a cannibal. He was exceptionally secretive about it. I had a signal that I gave the Game Master whenever my character was trying to consume some human flesh. None of their characters would have approved of that. So I always had to do it in secret and I couldn't always tell the Game Master because we're all sitting at the table together. So whenever I gave him the signal, it meant that my character was trying to partake I tried to keep it from conflicting with the party, and I actually managed to pull it off. No one ever caught me doing it.
1: If your goal was to pull the wool over the party members, then that would be a great reward for you if you managed to pull it off for a very, very long time and and possibly they never would clue in. Now, on the other hand, if you have a secret like that and you never do anything to reveal it, it doesn't mean anything. It's totally out of play. You're over there giggling about something you've never put at risk, so there's no reward for it. You might as well not even be on your character sheet. Right. It's important that if you have a secret like that, that you think of ways of revealing it so the other players can try to figure it out. This is for the GMs. It should never come down to a role. Okay, I make a perception check to see if I see Johnny over there chewing down on somebody's arm. Never should it be like that. The player really has to cut, figure it out for himself let them make perception checks and you just do that offhand during the mission not anything that's directly linked to something that's just happened players gonna go well the gm told me that that must be important what's up to the player to to amass start writing these things down and amassing these clues until finally he or she draws a picture out of this wait a second somebody's somebody's eating something that's what this is about someone's eating something they actually figure out well there's a cannibal it's like okay who's the cannibal I'm not the cannibal. I'm not the cannibal. <laughs> Everyone starts throwing you know, accusatory looks at each other. <laughs> You're over there with butter not melting in your mouth.
2: <laughs> I made a point to do it almost every single adventure, and there were plenty of times that I did it, and the Game Master actually made perception rolls because I was doing it at risky times. I was getting a kick out of it, so I was getting more and more risky with it. And you that's know, the way it should be. Right. I think one of the times was his whole party was like, starving my character was the only one that didn't give a crap about eating when when we found some food i was kind of like no go ahead you guys eat it's it's cool i I can wait i'm good and nobody batted an eyelash i mean no one even noticed like i said that and i thought you
1: were being noble instead of lacking meat (laughs) right
2: and i was the only one that wasn't looking famished oh I had been partaking. (laughs) It was just an interesting character to play because he, he actually had a lot of noble qualities. He was actually kind of a noble person in the other aspects of what he did. So he kind of threw everybody off.
1: I think it's pretty obvious that creating a good characterization and a good backstory Mm -hmm. and motivations is essential to being able to get good compensation from both the game and also from the other players. A form of compensation that we haven't touched on is vacations. Mm. Oh, yeah. So the Tmellor have these really high-tech, and when I say high-tech, I mean they do weird stuff vacation spots that they created for these godlike characters to be able to go and have fun there may be no real direct benefit back to earth so it wouldn't be a place that you'd normally explore but it could be a place that they could say hey t- you take a week off go over to this world where you turn into giant soap bubbles and chase each other around the moon and back
2: <laughs>
1: just to say that you did it it could be anything that you want it could be one of those worlds where you could do anything you wanted to do so the GM could say, okay, a week's gone by, everyone, tell us what you did. And then the players get to talk about some little thing that they made up. It could be a great reward for the players. And the characters can say that they did this. They could have learned a new skill if they want to go that route. Some people are all about min-maxing their characters. Always, and that's the case. Then that's the reward the GM should let them have. Well, I spent the entire time working on my swimming skill. I swam across the Dover cliffs and back to France. Okay, give him a bonus in his swimming. Meanwhile, hopefully other characters will go into the more exciting things. But whatever the reward is for the player for the character, that gives them an opportunity to do that. And vacations are also a great opportunity for characters to bond together, to reveal these kinds of character backgrounds we were just talking about. It could be a total break from what the missions have been so far. If you've been doing nothing but fighting fringe pirates, believe me, taking a week off, especially for that character that you were talking about, Blix, who wasn't motivated by money. He was more altruistic. He was the, the soldier. Well, I don't care how good of a soldier is. All soldiers like leave.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Right on the Earth Prime alt platform, there's a couple of vacation spots. The hunting lodge. The player character may decide, let's go hunt mammoth, the way our ancestors did. Getting himself a couple spears, and they're going to go hunting mammoth.
1: (laughs) And if they've made a good relationship by this point with those natives that were shooting at them originally they can go with a whole party of
0: natives it could be a whole bonding experience with the natives the hunting lodge doesn't actually have any of it's just megafauna and stuff like that
1: well i know there's one world where they went through and there was actually natives that shot at them the people in south america the indians they have this hundred mile long run that they go on carrying torches through the night and to them it's a big spiritual journey but it's also something they do in a great sense of camaraderie the entire menfolk go out on this big run that lasts 100 miles. Well, if you got invited to that, that would be quite a coup as far as acceptance with the tribe. And you could definitely say, yeah, I went on one of those 100-mile runs through the Andes Mountains.
0: Not too many other characters could say that. On Pax the first friend they find there is a barkeeper. He owns his own bar and brewery. Hey, you know what? It's, it's Rome. That's a great place to take some time and Sit in the baths and uh, and drink beer, or actually, in this case, Cervasia. Have a good old time while you're waiting for your next mission. Go to
1: the chariot races. Yeah. Well, see you see your own personal version of Ben-Hur.
2: Yeah. And if you have a character who's a purpose-driven character, he decides, you know, I want to try and find a pocket stop that I can set up as a, a base of some kind. You know, Maybe I'll set up a trading post. His reward could be having time to go look for something like that or somebody who's motivated by a business-type aspect. Maybe somebody wants to set up a business giving tours to rich people who happen to be French-worthy but aren't adventurers and don't want to be adventurers. They just want to see what's out there. I'm going to set up my tour business, and I'll take them to these different worlds that, that IDET says is okay. They'll get to go and adventure and look at these different worlds, and then you know when I bring them home,
1: well, we said that there were some Fringeworthy were too valuable to their jobs to to give it up. I mean, maybe they thought they were too valuable, but it could be also that they really are too valuable. They could be the head of a major corporation. The corporation's like, no, 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 we can't have him leaving. So that's a person. They're Fringeworthy. They can go on their French pass. So taking them on a tour... Uh, not only allows you to have a contact now with that major industry that you could then leverage for whatever you want to later on, but it also allows that character to get out onto the fringe paths and maybe change their minds. So This is so great. I don't care if I am the head of the corporation. I'm blowing it off. Right. More character-driven type action can, can happen because of that. These people do exist. There are people on Earth Prime who are fringe-worthy, who don't want to be explorers, and you could – leverage them back into the game in a more real sense by playing upon their personal needs and their wants for
2: compensation. I think one last thing we could touch for male characters might be the women. If you're fringe-worthy and you're you're like a superstar, so... I could see a character who is a lustful type character who would be motivated by the fact that, ah, oh, man, you know how many chicks I'm gonna get? Uh, you know, traveling the French paths, which would go either way. I mean, it could go for women to meet men as well, or hey, you know, we're we're a pretty open podcast. Could be for men to meet other men, <laughs> for that matter. But but the point of the matter is, is for people to leverage it for relationship type things.
0: That can happen within the team as well. I could foresee in the future where Gordon Conrad and Wei Lei may end up together as a team sorry he's damaged goods you're so mean to her she's not damaged goods yeah, just, she's just just smirch sock puppet okay you know but sooner or later she's
1: gonna run into someone else who's also smirched sock puppet oh. and maybe the two of them can get
0: something going well oh, that's Terrence stone he's already married and he doesn't want to get another girl
2: <laughs> what i'm talking about is that you're a, a fringeworthy traveler and you're you know you're famous and you come back to earth prime and you know, you're out and, and about. Start
1: going on all those parties. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I get yeah. And, and, and meeting girls and stuff or meeting whatever, meeting potential hookups. Um, Supermodels. Supermodels, um, right, you yeah. Know,
0: actresses, sports figures. Sure. Rock yeah.
2: stars. Mm-hmm. It's something that you could leverage to that end. And, and it's something that if you're a game master and you know, you're playing up this aspect of of the Fringeworthy characters that you know that they're famous and that they're sought after and everything don't forget that people are going to be climbing all over them to to try and be with them because they are special
0: so there's various ways of keeping your players interested keeping them involved in the metagame of of Fringeworthy as well as the current plot line if they're not involved in every aspect of the game they may eventually well get bored and want to do something else so there's lots of ways to keep the players and the characters occupied.
2: Don't shy away from being a contributor to the adventure, to the, to the evening's fun. Everybody at that table is responsible for everyone else having a good time. So you don't show up for the game master. It's not his job to make the game fun. Everybody has a role in that. You have a role in, when you play your character, to contribute and be a part of the, the process. Not just to be a wet blanket that rolls dice and kills things. Show up with some ideas. And if they're crazy ideas, that's okay. That's completely fine. As a matter of fact, it, sometimes the craziest ideas and the most fun. Remember, players, you're part of the process. You're just as important as the game master. It's your game, too.
1: If you want to have an awesome adventure, bring an awesome character. This is Bruce Sheffer saying,
0: There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying, Keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in.
2: And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. <laughs> we <laughs>